following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. You know, during my time in seminary, we were trained to look for something called the FCF, right? FCF stands for Fallen Condition Focus. And the Fallen Condition Focus is like the problem of the story, It basically describes um, an aspect of our brokenness, an aspect of our brokenness or rebellion that's in need of Christ's redemptive work. Now, it can either be a sin or um, like a condition influenced by sin, right? So it could be be something straight up as like your selfishness, right, sin, or influence, like a disease, right, influence of the fall, like disease or or clinical depression, okay? Now, um, I was looking for the FCF for this sermon, and as I was praying about it, um, all of a sudden, uh, I got a little uh, downcast because um, the FCF that I'm about to share is my own confession. It's my own confession of where I see one of the most serious mistakes that I've made uh, during this um, year-long time of uh, quarantine. Um, I can isolate and identify a huge aspect of my fallen condition that absolutely has not helped or served my family and my God. And and it's here where I believe where my sin lies. And it's this, okay? So um, I I, I believe that I have neglected, I have straight up neglected the Holy Spirit and his involvement in my life. More often than I would like, there was either an unhealthy self-dependence or an air of hopelessness and even depression as, and yes, it could have been due to environmental circumstances, to my environment and circumstances, uh, but looking back, man, how, like, you know, how different, how different could have things been if I just paid attention and gave even some credence, right, some, uh, and leaned into with some dependence of the Spirit of God. I've robbed myself of my eternal inheritance and of the greatest promises of, that God has, has given me. Um, so, you know, just, just to, to share, you know, during the course of this pandemic, I've, I've had general anxiety, okay? And, um, you know, I've gone through counseling, tried different things to try to remedy the anxiety and everything. But, um, but when I look back, I'm like, why didn't I just first... Ask the Spirit. Not that these things are wrong. Not that these things are wrong, right? The things that I try to do to work on it and everything. But, but my first reflex was not ask the Holy Spirit to do something about it. It just wasn't. Okay. Um, it wasn't my first response towards my anxiety. First Thessalonians five nineteen says this, right? Straight up. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. And I've successfully done that over and over again. Okay. Quench. Quench here means. Um, to extinguish or to put out, okay? You can extinguish or quench the work of the Spirit by resisting, neglecting, or ignoring the Spirit. Uh, You can stop. You can be the cause to pause the empowering personal presence of God in your life. And I have successfully, time and time again, more than I would like, shut out the Spirit, closed the door to the Spirit countless times, and it has led me to some empty places and sometimes some... Uh, uh, some dark places. My guess is that I'm not the only one uh, that has done the quenching 
during this season of life. And maybe we can, during this time, maybe even confess that we all have at least played you know, our fair share of ignoring, neglecting, forgetting, even rejecting the Spirit of God. And for me, truthfully, it took the grace of being assigned this sermon topic two months ago to wake me up a little bit. It took that grace of studying and looking into this Holy Spirit to even turn me back just a little bit to the availability and life-giving power of the Spirit, and it's been gloriously different ever since. So I, I want, this is what I want to do. I, just, I, I want to talk about, I want to boast I want, I want to preach from the word about the Holy Spirit. And I pray that for you too, that there would be an even greater degree of leaning or facing, a depending, a greater depending on the Spirit. So as we continue to move through this pandemic, and I'm not going to go list all that's been going on, that's wrong. We, we know what's going on, right? It's... It's dire out there. It can get pretty desperate sometimes, right? With all that stuff going on, I just want to say this, that we need the Holy Spirit more than ever. We need the Holy Spirit more than ever, and I don't believe we can afford to forget, ignore, and neglect him. So please pray with me for the Spirit's help and power uh, to come through for us during this time. So let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to ignite within us a holy imagination that is rooted in your mind and heart. Give us a vision of a spirit-filled life. Help us not to regulate the mighty work of the Spirit to the past, but help us to overcome by our circumstances or the reality before us Please give us the reality that you want for us, within us and around us, a life overflowing of joy, zeal, hope, and healing that we would shine brightly during what is probably the darkest time we have experienced as a generation. We just give this time to you. We just want to turn to you and say, Holy Spirit, do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As you heard from the video, um, the... The, the Spirit is, first and foremost, God's personal presence in our lives. And it's this personal presence of God that gives life-creating, life-restoring, and energizing goodness that spreads throughout all of creation wherever he goes. So what, how, how does he do this? Right? How does he go about working and moving? And so one of the primary ways that he does this is being in us, and working through us. And so that's basically what the points that we'll be going through, right? Throughout the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit power used to dwell in and work through God's people. In you and through you. Okay, so in you. Uh, the night before Jesus was arrested and executed, Jesus starts to give his parting words to his disciples. And of course, naturally, they become worried, distraught, anxious. They are confused, uncertain of what Jesus means by his talk of his imminent departure from them. Jesus then begins to try to ease their minds and comforts them. Okay? John 14, verse 1, he, he starts off really well. Hey, guys, let not your hearts be troubled. Okay? Believe in God and, you know, believe in me. 
Great start, right? Trust in me, trust in God, you know. Jesus where, where I'm going, there's many, many rooms, and I'm going to prepare them for you and come back for you. They would know exactly what he's talking about because during those days, uh, grooms would go ahead of their brides and prepare the house for them and come back for them and bring them there. And so that was custom during that time. So Jesus tells them the same. There are eternal places for you. I will ready them for you. I will come back for you, and you'll be where I am forever. He continues his words of comfort. Until then, where I'm going, you know, and before I can get back to you, you can still talk to me. We can still communicate. John 14, 13 to 14 says this, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. What the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the disciples are going, oh, okay, okay, cool, cool. Like, um, you're leaving, but hey, you're setting up some rooms for us, you know, some eternal rooms with our names on it. Okay, okay. And not that, not, it's, not, it's not so bad that you're going away because we can still talk to you. Right? We can still talk to you. So, um, yeah, we'll still be in touch. So, so, man, this is really making me feel easy, making me feel, uh, feel better. And then it gets weird. John 14, 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus says, when I go, I'm going to talk to Dad, and I will send, and you will receive another helper, advocate, or counselor. In the Greek, the word for another is more accurately translated as the same as, Right? Or another like me. So he's basically saying, I'm sending you a counselor, a helper, an advocate like me. Okay. I, I can't, could you just imagine what they, what's going on in their minds right now? Like, Jesus, what? Like, get real, right? You're, go, you're going to a place to prepare rooms for us, a place where you're able to hear us and, and we can pray to you. But, but with all that addition, you're sending a helper down that's like you? That's not just going to be with us, but it's actually going to be in us? Jesus, you are going to be in us. In us. Do you hear that? By, by the helper, counselor, advocate, spirit of truth. Jesus is not only with us, Emmanuel, with us, God with us, but in us, Emmanuel on steroids, right, in us. This is a truth you might have learned during your Sunday school years, but should it not give us like cause for pause, right? To be in a state of utter awe, right? Just, just to stay there just for a little bit. Wait a minute. Jesus, God, is in, in, in us, in you, in me? Like, like th this is the same God that chose to dwell in the garden. This is the same God that chose to dwell in a burning bush. He chose to dwell in pillars of fire and cloud during the Exodus. He, he chose to dwell in a man-made traveling, man traveling tent called the tabernacle who later chose to dwell in a gorgeous structure called the temple. The same God who chose to rest and, and empower people like Abraham, Moses, Noah, judges, prophets, and, and the one who chose to dwell with mankind through the Son of Man, Jesus, this same God has now chosen to dwell in us. Isaiah 66, 1. Thus says the Lord, Throne and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? Right? And it, and it is us. It's us that becomes 
his house, his place of rest. Jesus lives in you. God lives in you. And I don't know if we can grasp that. I don't, I don't care how big your brain is or how big your imagination is. I don't know if we could grasp the fact that the living God lives in us. So what does it mean then? What's he doing in there? Okay. What are you doing in there? What are you doing in me? Right. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 26 talks about a New Testament, a New Testament promise from the Old Testament. And this is what the Lord's doing. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Ah, there it is. The, the new heart he's creating in us and the new spirit he's implanting in us, he's giving us. What he's, what's he actually doing in there is, as it says here, what he's truly doing is giving us what we are to truly hate and what we are to truly love. If you want to talk about the spirit-filled life and what the spirit is doing here, let's refer to Paul. Right? Paul is pretty good at this. And in Romans 8, right? Romans 8, 12 to 13, again, just deeper details as to what the spirit is doing with our hearts in terms of true knowing, uh, teaching us and moving us to, to, to love what we are to truly love and to hate what we are truly to hate. Okay? So he says this, Romans 8, 12 to 13, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You start to hate what you used to love. Right? You start hating the deeds of the body. Right? The sinful cravings that we used to have just isn't cutting it anymore. Right? So, much, so much that you long to just put it away, put it to death. Right? Not, not wanting and turning away from the things that hurt God. Your taste buds for sin just change. Now, this is an extreme example of this, all right? This is, I, feel, I feel like this is the only story that I've heard this happen. But um, I knew a Christian brother who was addicted to pornography for many years. Okay? And, and one evening, as he was well into his sin, he just started feeling sick. And from that sickness, he just started throwing up. He started throwing up in response to the images he was seeing before his eyes. From that point forward, every time he fell onto his addiction, he would throw up, feel sick. And this was one of the many walls the Lord was building up between him and his addiction. He just was able to see and feel God's point of view. He started to hate pornography. He's working on, God is working on, on what we are to truly hate, but also what we are to truly love. Paul continues in verse 14 and 15 from chapter 8. For all who are led by the Spirit and are, and, and of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. There's something about when the, the living Spirit of God just just goes in you, right? Just comes in, and, and there's this amazing divine interaction where the Holy Spirit just talks and convinces and moves your spirit and, and reminds you and affirms that you have a God that loves you unconditionally. In Jesus, God truly loves you. You are valuable in his eyes. Your security is in him. He's infatuated with you. He, he is crazy about you. 
There's something about that. The Lord turning our hearts towards him, away from sin and towards him. In the summer of uh, 2020, we caught our eldest daughter, Hannah, who at the time was five, hiding in her room in the dark, playing a game on her Kindle when she wasn't supposed to. Dun, dun, dun. As a consequence, right, we, we found her, right? We found her, and she gave, you know, when we saw her, we're like, Hannah. She goes, huh? You know, like the, those gawks, like half over the mouth, huh? Right. The huh's like half, I'm in trouble. But the other half of that gawking is like, how did they find me? I thought I covered all my bases. I turned off the lights, I closed the door, and, and how did you do that? Right? Huh? Like Hannah. So we, we took away her Kindle privileges right, for that day. My wife Grace, in her journal, documents actually the rest of what happened in the preceding conversations with Hannah. Uh, Grace writes this. Uh, she became overwhelmed with shame, disappointment, and anger. She actually started hating herself saying that no one loved her and that she wished everyone hated her and that God hated her. Her eyes were panicked and overwhelmed at the same time. Grace continues, I hugged her and rocked her, telling her that I loved her, that God loved her, and I know that she was upset and disappointed. She eventually gave in and, and cried into my shoulder and, and calmed down. She went to Lester in a different room for a hug and more assurance. A few minutes later, Hannah came back into the room. She was calmer but still angry. She, she started to repeat what she said earlier about how she wished everyone hated her and hit her arm twice. I told her sternly to stop hurting herself because I loved her and I would do anything to stop the people I love from getting hurt. I told her that the mean things she was saying about herself were lies from the sneaky snake, our term for Satan. She stopped and asked, what, what, if, what would happen if Satan sat on God's throne? I told her that God sits on the big throne, on a big throne, and Satan can't go there. But that there's also a throne in her heart that, and that Satan or God could sit there and, and, and that she could ask God to sit on the throne of her heart. She started to weep. Randomly, she said, I don't want Jesus to die. And I asked her if she wants to talk to God. She nodded yes, and, she, and then she started praying the most fervent confession I've ever heard. Through cries and tears, she sobbed, God, please sit on my throne. I don't want to lie. Help me not to sin. I was crying as I held her tightly. I sent Lester a text message, and he came into the room, and we prayed together. And he prayed together with us, and she finally rested in our embrace, very calm, and peaceful. We named her Hannah because, like Hannah in the Bible, it was our prayer that she would cry out to God in her time of need. And to hear her do that, even just for that moment, to cry out to God to help, for help, to help her from doing wrong, to help her in her self-condemnation found in, in, in the form of hitting herself, asking for help, not because she feared punishment from us, but to help her not to lie against a God that loved her, right? To help her not to sin against the one she loves. What, what a blessing it was to see that prayer come alive in that instance, right? It, and you know what? It's something we pray for all of our children to have, amen? That all of our children may reject and turn away from the darkness and, and dead ends of this world and to turn to the living God, our Jesus, for help and hope. God in us, giving us a new heart and a new spirit, 
He's working on what we are to hate, but also what we are to love. God in you. The Holy Spirit doesn't just work in you. He just doesn't stir affections or thoughts. He doesn't just remind you of truths. He doesn't stay there, but he actually moves through you in that. God, God's goodness through the Holy Spirit works not only in you, but through you to, to bless others as well. God's goodness through the Holy Spirit works not only in you, but through you. From big dramatic movements of the Spirit to small little nudges. I'm reminded of the powerful testimonies given this past Advent season. I don't know if you remember, not just a few months ago, four amazing testimonies were given of how just God used them and worked through them to bless others. Right? Maybe just to name a few, you know, our very, our very own Tito Nessie and, 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 and Tito Roderick, right? The Spirit worked through them to, through these dire times, gave them courage and faith to continue to persevere on. Our sister Adelaide shared about her brother's visit, a random visit, and he came to comfort and, and for some reason, when she held her hand, when he held her hand, she was just comforted by the Holy Spirit and felt so much peace because at the time, her parents were stricken by COVID, not in the United States, but in Russia, in their mission field. And God used her brother to bring that assurance and comfort that they're going to be okay. And you know what? They are. And they're probably watching right now because they're with, they're with Adelaide and Mike's, Mike and Mike are here, right? And so they're there. I mean, it's a reunited family, and so the Lord answered our prayers. So the praise the Lord for that. We prayed for you, Mr. and Mrs. Kim. So, so glad to see you guys there. And I'm clapping because I want everyone else to clap. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, maybe one more. The Spirit, through our brother, Dr. Young Che, has a couple of his patients asked him, asked, asked, um, him to pray for them. He started questioning. He started asking the Lord, why do you want... What are you trying to teach me, Lord? Right? And upon asking, he was granted this amazing heart of love for his patients. Right? Where he couldn't help but empathize and weep for their pain and give love and share the gospel. Young became not just a physical healer, but an emotional and spiritual healer in Christ to his patients. Right? And these testimonies go on and on. You know, in the time that... Uh, I was in St. Louis uh, pastoring a church down there. We thought we were going to stay there forever, you know. Grace's parents were ready to move there, you know, from New York to St. Louis. And, and in October of 2017, as I was in the shower, all of a sudden I felt this grip on my heart, like a piercing sensation. And all of a sudden, like, I started seeing visions of, like, Chicago and, like, faces in Chicago. And all of a sudden there was this burning conviction of, like, People in Chicago need Jesus, right? And I started weeping in the shower. I'm like, what is going on? And then I asked the Lord, Lord, are you calling us to Chicago? Like, what, what in the world? All right. This instance must have lasted, I don't know, like five minutes. I came out of the shower and I was like, whoa, what was that? Right? So I, so I, I updated Grace. I'm like, uh, I know you've been looking for a house, working hard on that, but what if God's leading us back to home to Chicago, right? He's like, what, are you crazy? You know, kind of thing. So we, we prayed about it. We, we asked people. We, 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 it wasn't a decision that was easy to make, but it took four, four to five months of, of discerning, of asking others, and the Lord just in us and then through us transferred us to Chicago to serve him. 
And, and, and through others in our conversations with them, th- he used them through them to convict us and to confirm that we were to come back home to Chicago. Honestly, it was one of the last places I wanted to be uh, for reasons that, uh, you know, I can't, I don't have time to go into, but it, through us, right? Through, through, through you, through me, through you, whether it was an inspired thought that led you to pray and love someone, through you, whether it was a timely word that convicted you to serve someone else, through you, where the gifts of the Spirit are manifested to bless others, to build up the church, through you, where sometimes you feel commissioned to be Jesus for those who are where you are. Right? The Holy Spirit, through you, people are served, blessed, and encouraged Love, through you, the Spirit works. Through you, the Spirit works. Right? The, the same Spirit that gave dreams to Joseph, that empowered men to craft the Ark of the Covenant and the Tabernacle, the same Spirit that gave prophets power to be forthtelling and forthright, this is the same Spirit that is no longer just reserved for these individuals alone. But what makes the New Testament new, one of the aspects of the New Testament that, that is new is that everyone gets it. Not just a few individuals. No, everyone in Jesus gets the Spirit. Right? You get the spirit, and you get the spirit, and you get the spirit. I feel like Oprah, you get a car, you get a car, right? It's, it's everyone gets it. Right? Joel 2, 20 to 29, and it shall come to pass afterward, and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and sons and, and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, all share in having God in them and work through them. Right? All of us share in that. And everyone gets the spirit. Everyone gets it. So what is God, why is God doing this, right? What is the overall purpose of the Spirit coming in us and through us, right? What is being accomplished? What's, what's happening? What's, what's going on? What's going, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? I tried to do a Harry Carey impression. What's going on? What's going on? Call the wind. Call the wind. No? All right. Never mind. Sorry. What is... The Spirit accomplishing overall in us and through us. So let's do this. We're going to go back to a couple of verses that we talked about already, and we're just going to go for the first one, the Ezekiel passage, and we're just going to go forward one. And then for the passage where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit and, um, and that the Spirit will live in his disciples, and his followers, we're just going to go back one. So let's start with the Ezekiel one really quick. So Ezekiel 36, 25, 27, we, we, we read this one already. What is God doing in our hearts? I will sprinkle clean water in you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, right? But what does he say at the end of that? That should give us a clue as to what he's doing with this in-out stuff, right? Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay? Now let's go back to John 14, 16 to 17. And let's move back a verse. Okay? Before he gets into, I will ask my father and I will give you a helper. Right? And he'll be, it'll be a spirit of truth and he'll be in you. What's one verse before that? Why is Jesus doing that? Why is he sending the spirit? Here we go. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my command. So, so why? why is the Spirit given? In you and through you, so what? So he can help us. Help us with what? Help us obey. Obey. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Obey. Hey. Right? You might be sitting there like, oh, man, that's the big reveal. Come on, man. Don't you got something better? Don't you got something better up your sleeve, right? But come on. Not to the child of God. This is everything to the child of God. 
This is everything. Allow me to address what is common and lies deep within each and every one of our hearts that love and know Jesus. You long to do what God wants you to do. Amen? Let me say it. You long to do what God wants you to do. Amen? Jesus said it. If you love me, you will do what I command. Love and obedience are not mutually exclusive because the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, your entire being and love others. Look at the words of our own hearts articulated by the Psalms. It's everywhere. Psalm 19:14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 86:11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, to which we respond, we love you, Jesus. We want to follow. If you're a Christian, There's a deep longing in your heart to want to do what God wants you to do. But there's a problem. There's a big problem. Our sinful hearts, our polluted faculties feel like such a frustrating hindrance to obeying. We are the biggest barrier to our own obedience. And you know what? It can feel frustrating. Almost, it can feel so hopeless and despairing as we're just overwhelmed and our own heart just condemns us, right? As Paul says in Romans 7, in his own struggle, right? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Oh, like every single aspect of our being has been polluted and tainted where we cannot give the love and obedience the Lord deserves. We just can't. We just can't. Again, it can feel so frustrating. We can feel so helpless and hopeless. Our own hearts are so quick to condemn us. But look, in the spirit, we have help. We got help, right? In the spirit, we can give acceptable obedience that can please the Lord. We can keep our end of the covenant in the spirit, right? Spirit-empowered obedience is everything to the Christian. And I'm not talking about willpower, teeth grit, oh, I'm supposed to do this obedience. He empowers you, helps you, counsels you, motivates you to be to 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 this meaningful, heartfelt, non-legalistic, non-self-acclaiming, non-self-centered, God-adoring, God-centered obedience. In the spirit, human effort obedience comes, becomes God-centered worship. Look, what's easier, right? Knowing the word or doing the word? Knowing the word. Knowing the word is much easier than doing the word, and we need help. We need help in doing that, right? We, listen, we absolutely cannot continue to quench the spirit. Do you see? Like, the spirit is absolutely necessary, mandatory, to live out the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is essential to live out the Christian life. Um, you know, even, even children love to show their parents what they did, right? Take delight in pleasing their parents. You know, sort of look, look what I did, Daddy, or, or, you know, through their obedience. Sometimes. Rarely. Mostly never. Like, you know, but when they do, it's, it's cute. Right? But in much the same way, our greatest reward is the Father's smile and pleasure found by all those in Christ empowered by the Holy Spirit. Upon moving from St. Louis to Chicago, 
Um, we were put in charge of a church plant to plant a church in Wicker Park. And I'll have to, I'll have to tell you that um, it was probably one of the hardest, if not the hardest, year of ministry of our family's lives. Um, it felt so stressful. Um, I, of course, God's blessings were there. His faithfulness was there. But it, was, it just felt, it was, it's so hard to plant a church. If you guys have ever been part of a church plant, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, it's so hard to just to plant a church. And it was full of stress. It was full of, like, just uncertainty. And on top of that, you know, we launched when, they, when, when the church was launched in partnership with, other, with, this, with, with this church organization. Uh, Joseph was born pretty much at the same time we launched the church. Can you imagine launch, launching a church and then launching, a, launching into, like, an infant, right, a, a newborn baby? And, and he had all these allergies that we were trying to take care of. So it felt, like, chaotic at home. It felt a little chaotic in the church. And after a year and a half... We were, talking about the, we were talking to the other leadership, and they asked us, hey, um, I think it's, it's time for you to go. And I was like, why? What? Wait, what are you talking about? Like, part of me was just like, I worked so hard. Like, every single day I worked so hard. It felt so unjustified. It felt so unfair. Like, why are you, why are you letting us go after a year and a half? Just give us a chance. I, I just felt like all the work that was done in this church was all for naught. That weekend, when after that conversation of us departing from the church, I was in my car on my way to Sunday service. And I'm like, how am I supposed to go upstage on Sunday service when, when not everyone knows that I'm, I'm being let go, me and my family are being let go? And so I sat in the car and um, parked it outside the church, not attending the morning prayer uh, meeting that we usually have for our Sunday services. And I just sat there. I'm like, how am I supposed to go in there? I'm a mess. I just lost my job. I just, I just, how, how is my family going to support? How, how are we going to be supported? And I just sat there. I, I, I just, like, Lord, I can't go in there, right? And so I decided to get real with him. And I just prayed. I'm like, my like, God, you know, we followed you. We obeyed you. How could you hurt me and my family so much? And upon that prayer, all of a sudden, it's like, gosh, I was present. Felt like it just filled the car. And I heard him speak to my heart and say, I love you. And you obeyed. I'm pleased. Now go rest. And hearing that, experiencing God's, God's love, and hearing about his pleasure in obedience meant everything. It made everything worth it. It made all that pain worth it just to know that God was pleased. All I want to do and all you want to do, oh, look, see, I came ready. Look at that.
all I want to do and all you want to do is love and follow Jesus. And we can be so discouraged when we fail, but the Lord promised us help. Amen? The Lord promised us help, that he will be in us and he will work through us. Isn't that true that the greatest place to be is where God wants you to be? Isn't that true that the greatest thing you can do is doing what God wants you to do? Listen, if the fullness of the Spirit lives in us, the question is not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, right? That doesn't make sense. That's not, that's not the right question to ask. But if the fullness of the Spirit lives in us, the question is how much does the Holy Spirit have of you? How much does the Holy Spirit have of you? How much does the Holy Spirit have of your time, your attention, your dependence, your, your humble surrender? May we not ignore, neglect, or oppress, or quench the Spirit, right? but rather may we depend, cling to, ask for help, and love God with our entire selves is realized in our lives through humble dependence because, listen, this, the Holy Spirit is not an automatic, it's not, it's not an automatic thing or robotic thing. It's not, a, it's not a power that you have to harness, that you need to harness, right? The Spirit is not a power to, to gather, right? He, he's a person, and thus it's a relational matter. So the relational posture towards the Spirit is help, like help me, helper. Humble dependence. And this is easy. I'm not asking for anything wild, right? It could be just as easy as just sitting in childlike prayers. God... Holy Spirit, just help me with my anxiety. Holy Spirit, help me. I feel so alone. Holy Spirit, ignite in me. Ignite in me a love for you again. Give me a passion for your word again. Holy Spirit, please. It can be as easy as blunt prayers just like that. Just like that. What would it mean for us to depend on the Holy Spirit and speak in ways with faith Lord, what would it mean to be open up, open ourselves up to the Spirit, to watch Him move and work? What would that mean? How would our lives look different? I'll conclude with this. From the first pages of the Bible, the hovering of the Spirit was upon barren darkness, unpurposed, lifeless landscape. And then all of a sudden, by the power of the Spirit, Water emerges, dirt is animated, gardens manifested, man created. In the valley of lifeless bones, as told in Ezekiel, breathed onto by God, bones are made alive again, given a powerful image of lifeless, sinful man breathed into by the living God and given life. The energizing, personal life presence of God found in the spirit continues with us. The spirit pattern that we see in scripture continues with us in you and through you by the powerful love produced in your heart and a keeping of his commands through you let's stop quenching the spirit let's just stop right and may we be filled from the inside out overflowing life and building the kingdom of god together because wherever the spirit is working wherever the spirit is working in and through god's children that's where the kingdom of god is let's pray Just take a moment and ask whatever you'd like to the Holy Spirit.
as he lives in each and every one of us, doing the work, getting us aligned to God's loves and God's hates, as he's working, as he's looking to work through you powerfully, and all of that to guide you in amazing, life-changing obedience. Just go honestly before the Father in the power of that spirit that he's given each and every one of us. And what do you wish to happen again? In God's name, in your love for Jesus, what do you want from God? What do you want the Holy Spirit to do? Just take a moment and pray, just for a moment, and then we'll come into communion.